Hello and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Clark Burrell and Lewis Cleland. This week we are absolutely delighted to welcome a special guest onto the show. As always, if you see us on Instagram at A Wee Bit of Everything Podcast or on Twitter at Burrell under slash Mr or Cleland Lewis 94. We would welcome a share or a retweet as this helps us get the podcast out there so others can listen to it as well. At the end of the day, this podcast is done by teachers for teachers. This week on the podcast, we are joined by Elaine Witherspoon. Elaine is the PGDE Secondary Programme Leader for all subject areas at the University of the West of Scotland. And she was also my former um, postgrad lecturer on the PE course. She has experience in research on health and wellbeing in general and how prepared teachers are to meet their responsibility for health and wellbeing in schools, which we'll hear more about shortly. Today, Elaine is also on to talk to us about her role at the university and what this entails. We're looking forward to catching up with Elaine on this episode, so let's get going with it. Right, how are you doing, Elaine? Thanks a lot for joining us today to share your experiences in leadership and as a lecturer at the university. How have you been? Yeah, not too bad. Same as everybody in lockdown, just getting on with it. Yeah, it's been a bit of a strange set of circumstances this start to the year, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. So, just to kick us off then with uh, the podcast, could you tell us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date? Um, yeah, I guess probably I'd want to start um, at the beginning, really, I guess <laughs> that's probably the most sensible place to start. Um, I went to De Montfort University in Bedford, um, which used to be Bedford College of PE, but it's now Bedfordshire University, um, and that was a four-year um, PE degree, um, and I studied obviously PE, but also maths, um, and which is a really strange combination. Um, but that was one of the things that I really liked about the uni, and that's one of the reasons I chose to study there, was that it gave me that opportunity to um, qualify in, in two subjects. So that was kind of the start of my career, was that strange combination of PE and maths, running from the hockey pitch to the maths classroom, and you know, covered in mud and all sorts of stuff. Um, while I was at uni, like lots of us, um, I was, um, lucky enough to work abroad. Um, I worked in America at camps um, for every summer that I was at uni and, and I was really fortunate to get a, a kind of full-time position once I had graduated. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the States um, doing sports coaching um, developing young athletes um, and then after a few years I was a bit like I probably should do something with this education degree that I've got um, and again I was, I was really lucky to make some connections that allowed me to teach um, in America as well. Um, and worked with a whole bunch of people, um, but in one of my favourite cities in the world, which is Chicago. If you haven't been, um, you definitely should go. It's a great city for music and food and um, mm. just general sightseeing. Um, so I was there for about four years, and I think kind of the, one of the things that I really always like to tell people about when I was working there is it probably made me the teacher I am today. Um, and I know that sounds really strange because it's, it was quite a long time ago now, um, but we started a new school and it was literally a brand new school where you were deciding rules, uniforms, mascots, anything really you could ever imagine um, that you would have to decide when you start a new school. Um, and that really was just one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done in my career. Um, and alongside that, the focus of the school was trying to increase the amount of African-Americans that go to college or university, as we call it. Um, so I think that probably was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done and um, probably made me the kind of teacher I am today and then having made that difference it really made me think I want to go back to Scotland and, and make a similar difference because obviously that's where I'm from and um, 
it was great to be out in Chicago and, and make a difference with some really, um, really, really great colleagues. But I kind of felt this homesickness that I wasn't, you know, making a difference back in Scotland. And that was really how I ended up back um, in Scotland. And I've worked in, across a range of local authorities, primarily East Ayrshire, which is where I'm from. Um, I worked in my old school, um, which was strange because some of my old teachers were still there and I didn't know whether to call them by their first name or call them Mr or whatever or Sir. Um, and then before I went to the university, I worked at Durham Grammar School, um, which I just loved because I got to take a boat to school every day and it had this tremendous um, wow. kind of island community feel to the, to the school, which was just a wonderful place to work where everybody was in the kind of on the same page and I worked with some really enthusiastic young educators um, and I think that really helped shape more of how I am as an educator um, and then I guess working with student teachers and probationary teachers while I was in school was one of the reasons that I was really keen to be involved in initial teacher education and I'd done some part-time lecturing when I was in America um, and I just kind of kept coming back to this idea of I think this is where my career is going and I really enjoyed working with student teachers and probationers and um, I, I vividly remember being on S1 jobs just perusing as you do um, and there was a job at UWS for a PE lecture and I just kind of took it as a sign and applied for it and um, the deadline was only a couple of days away and then a couple of weeks later I'd had an interview and then shortly earlier after I, I've had my position and that was seven years ago now and um, so I've been at the university for seven years originally in PE um, as you know and then more recently as the secondary programme leader um, obviously still delivering in physical education um, but working across all the programmes primary, secondary um, and across all the subjects um, and that's really I guess us up to date with where I am now. Yeah it seems like you've had a, a lot of variety of experiences and that I think that's helped you like you said find out what you actually really enjoy doing. So a lot of people um, you probably agree just going to teach and then they just stay in that for forever and then they, they never know if they don't go out and try these things and I think see after doing that mo the, the little inset thing we did at uni about teaching abroad is it worth it mm -hmm. um, I think that discussion was was really interesting because a lot of people think there's maybe some sort of stigma attached to going away and then coming back and um, or you, you'll never get you'll struggle to get a job if you come back especially in PE and things like that but I don't think that's the case I think if you're really passionate about what you do and you're, you're kind of good at it then you will find yourself a job, I think. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would agree with that. I did find it um, challenging when I came back in terms of mm -hmm. um, going on supply lists and um, going on multiple interviews. Um, and I guess in some ways I was lucky because Curriculum for Excellence had, had was just coming in. Um, and so everybody was kind of in the same boat where they didn't really know what the curriculum was going to look, at, look like. So when you're in interviews, you can kind of talk about that. Um, but I think that benefited me as opposed to if the curriculum had been really established, it might have been quite difficult for me to say, well, I've not taught the higher in four, you know, four or five years. So yeah. um, that certainly could be a, how people might see it as a downside. But in terms of what I said earlier, it, it really made me the kind of teacher that I am today. And, and I, wouldn't, I would never, wouldn't change that for the world at all. Um, and there are some downsides, but I think you can compensate for them and you can account for those. Um, and I think you see that in the amount of young teachers that are going abroad at least for a wee while, a couple of years maybe. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think the main differences were then from teaching in America to teaching in Scotland? I mean probably one that always 
played on my mind um, as being a potentially negative difference. There are lots of good differences and I'll, I'll talk about those too, but um, PE is not a certificated subject out there. So it, it really is just um, about the physical activity, the sport, um, the movement, the exercise, and, and that's great. And there's a lot of benefits to that. Um, and, and it's certainly for the people that I work with had a huge influence on them because they probably weren't getting exercise elsewhere. Um, but it comes as a result of one of the biggest um, positives, I guess, of the education system in America is that sport is so highly valued. Um, so I was coaching when I was out there as well, coaching high school, um, volleyball and various other things. And, you know, before every game they play the national anthem, there's hundreds of people watching the game and I'm going, yeah. I'm pretty sure whenever I played volleyball there was like 50 people there maximum and that was including <laughs> the two teams. Um, but the side effect of that, of course, is that athletes um, are, don't have to go to PE. You know, they just assume because you're an athlete and you're training four or five, <clears throat> four or five times a week um, that that's enough. Um, and so the value attached to PE probably isn't as much as it is here. Um, mm. and, and that always kind of played on my mind a little bit. Um, you know, the colleagues I work with, they very much valued me and, and the subject in our department. Um, but perhaps as a, a kind of cultural thing, they didn't really value it and they valued sport much more. Um, you know, that and I guess one of the biggest differences was I worked in a really deprived area and there was lots of gang violence and lots of, you know, some of the stuff that we're still seeing on the news today, which is, mm -hmm. you know, it's just heartbreaking to see that on the news. But um, it, it was really quite difficult to leave that in the school building. You, you, I mean, we all take our work home with us, but emotionally it was very challenging to to not um, be affected by those things that were yeah. clearly affecting the young people that we were working with and I'm not sure that you see it in such an extreme you know, so provision around Scotland we're very aware of how that affects attainment for our young people but it's not mm -hmm. quite as extreme as it is in America and I think that was quite eye-opening for me I think in mm -hmm. terms of what they were facing on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely not as extreme as it is in America over here, isn't it? No, it's, it's, a, no. it's a big, massive difference. Um, I'd love to go to Chicago and uh, do the marathon. That's something that's on my yeah. list. Yeah, I can't say that I've done the marathon, but a couple of my friends did, and um, I just tagged along and worked the water stations. It was it's so impressive, and it's, yeah. from, by all accounts, a beautiful place to run around. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a really beautiful city. I much prefer it to New York. Yeah. I just think it's a lot... Um, I think it's a much cleaner city, in my opinion, but and the deep dish, deep dish pizzas were brilliant. Yeah, you can't beat it. You can't beat oh, it. So, so good. So you've shared a little bit about your experience then, your career to date with us, Elaine. So moving on to question two, as the leader of the PGDE programme at the university, why do you believe PE has such an important role to play in the social and emotional development of the young people? Um, it took me a bit of time to kind of think about this and I, I do think about it a lot obviously in the role that I have not just involved in, involved in other secondary subjects and for me it's this idealistic development of our young people so um, maybe traditionally PE was a bit more about um, promoting physical development physical skills physical fitness um, but I think as you said there it is so much more than just that now and we know that it's about the social and emotional development of our young people and I particularly think it's important um, because PE provides some unique environments where the pupils can communicate and interact and in really beneficial and meaningful ways um, and perhaps in really different ways than what they're used to. Um, so I think that kind of peer interaction that happens automatically as a part of what we do in PE is really um, 
useful for success in school within PE, but also for academic and career success. And you'll know that um, you both had experience in sport and PE and, and are, are now teachers and, and things like teamwork and resilience that you might have learned from those experiences are particularly important for future success. And I think they can, I guess, be improved in PE and then, and then taken forward into future life. And, you know, there's things like models-based practice and cooperative learning that that work to kind of develop social and emotional skills in different ways. Um, and I do think that contributes to the holistic um, development of our young people. And I think that's really important that it's not just PE that's out there, you know, helping our young people. There are lots of other great examples across subjects where things like art and drama can help our young people with their social and emotional development. Um, ultimately though, for PE really it is that kind of lifelong development which is in it, in our very definition um, and I think that's why it's really key that we hit that um, as, as part of our subject. Yeah it's like you say it's it's trying to convey to the young people how much a positive impact it's had on it's easy for me saying that as a PE teacher but like the value I place on exercise and how much sport and stuff has played a, such an important role in my my life growing up and again how it's developed like certain qualities within me that I probably wouldn't have got gotten anywhere else and it's just trying to convey that passion to them and get them to kind of to buy into it as well and like you say through yeah. kind of cooperative learning ways and um, getting them to get into it as well it's it's, um, it's it's massive yeah and I think you see it as well in the amount of people who talk about um, why they hire athletes for jobs you know it's a very American thing to talk about athletes in that way but you know they talk about that thing um, they kind of almost personal qualities, the, the uh, intangibles that you're not necessarily going to get if you haven't been in that competitive team environment, um, mm -hmm. either through PE or through sport. And it's, it's that future success, I guess, that makes it so important um, yeah. rather than just success in day-to-day -day lessons or PE generally, um, you know, getting a higher or a national or whatever, th those are important. But I think the kind of lifelong part of it for me is, is why it is so important, really. Mm -hmm. I think I think PE highlights the, the importance, or certainly in, in lessons, you know, of the, the personal qualities um, side of the benchmarks, doesn't it? Like the teamwork, mm -hmm. resilience and the motivation. Yeah. It's definitely um, hi highlighted in PE and the kind of physical um, mm -hmm. lessons. But I was thinking there as well, just like strategies that, that we could possibly look at as well is, you know, like praise, praising the pupils that maybe show good teamwork rather than... Mm -hmm. You know the, the people that win the competitions. It doesn't. It doesn't need always to be the ones who are achieving. It can be, you know, pupils who are working well as a team or showing showing resilience or maybe brought the kit for the first time in a month. You know, just having yeah. different different ways to motivate them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's a place for everyone. Yeah, I definitely agree with that in the sense that success looks very different in PE now than what it did 10, 15, you know, I think back to my own PE career when I was doing standard grade and, and stuff, you know, success in PE looks very different. And I think that's part of the reason why it is important that we look at mental and um, emotional support and social development for our young people. It was, we were, we had, um, I think it was Cameron Stewart, he's a primary PE teacher, and we had him mm -hmm. on, he was speaking to us, and he's really, like, into the sport education model, and he uses that, like, all the time with his pupils. And he says that he sets that up not on like a points-based system where they win points for winning games, but he sets it around like those personal qualities and stuff like that. Yeah. He says he has so much success with it. He says the kids really buy into it. And I just think it's such a great idea. If you can do that, you can still do that at high school as well, just as long as you're able to try and create that kind of ethos in the class um, and get all the, the pupils to buy into mm -hmm. it. 
Yeah, for sure. It makes them accountable as well for each other's actions in their team, so it kind of motivates them that way, doesn't it? So yeah. they, don't let, they don't want to let each other down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes the peer pressure can get a bit too much, though, and they get overly competitive, but again, that's part of helping them manage their emotions and, and helping them understand, yeah. you know, nobody's winning a gold medal for this, so let's, you know, rein it in a little bit. But again, that's really what we're teaching them, isn't it? So I do, I'm a big, a big fan of sport education and, and Lewis, as you know, uh, Stephen's a big fan of TGFU and, and yeah. it's something that we try and impart on all of our student teachers so that they can take that forward and think about how they can develop uh, the young people they're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important as well to create the competitive environment so they do become emotional so you can then teach them how to behave when they become, yeah. you know, emotional. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, um, so, Elaine, uh, can you tell us in more detail um, a little bit about your research um, in the area of health and wellbeing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, excitingly, I'm just coming to the end of my doctoral studies. Um, so, in about, hopefully, fingers crossed, by Christmas, it will be uh, all done and dusted. Um, and, and that's really what I'm working towards at the moment. But my study really looks at perceived preparedness of student and probationer teachers to meet their responsibility for health and wellbeing. So, essentially, I looked at um, students from our PE programme um, and we reflected on how prepared they felt to promote, teach and deliver health and wellbeing in their practice when they were going out into school um, and, and that was kind of the, I guess, the overarching goal of the of the study um, and, and think about what might have influenced those feelings of preparedness. So for lots of the participants it was, you know, experiences that they'd had, whether it was an experience on campus or whether it was an experience on placement. Um, but specifically, you know, things that were PE related seem to have a big influence on, on, on them feeling ready to, to go out into, you know, their career and, and, and actually meet this responsibility that we all have for health and wellbeing. Um, what was really interesting, so I, I visited the students um, a year later when they'd finished their probation year. And what I found really interesting was that their views of preparedness had shifted quite a lot. Um, mostly because they now understood more about what health and wellbeing was actually about. So they got this feeling that oh, it's not just about the physical or it's not just about physical and mental, it's about so much more. Um, and as a result, they felt, you know, both more prepared and less prepared at the same time than what they thought they were. Um, and I think it's, it's for me anyway, that what's really important is taking that information and trying to do something with it. Um, so thinking about my own work and how I change what I do with students, supporting students to change what they do as teachers. Um, and, and really try and help them feel more prepared to meet their responsibility for health and well-being. So that's kind of the, I guess, the, the short Cliff Notes version of um, of my study. It's 368 pages long, so we probably don't have time to really go into all of that detail. <laughs> so can you give us a, maybe a practical example of how, of how you know, the, the interactions went with the students on anything that they maybe changed or anything they implemented within the placements? Yeah, I mean, probably as a, a former student, Lewis, Lewis is maybe a better place to answer that question, but I won't put him on the spot. Um, I guess for me, um, in conducting the research, I obviously got a wealth of information about their experiences generally on the programme, not just about health and wellbeing, um, and things that they thought were worthwhile, things they wanted to spend more time on or less time on. Um, and I think that fed then into the development of the PE programme and the PGD as a whole. Um, and probably some specific examples were things like, we used to do quite a lot of micro-teaching and we still do a lot of micro-teaching on campus. Um, but we started to shift the focus of that away from 
um, you know, student choice, which obviously is a good thing, um, but we changed the, the focus to then look at, well, we want you to deliver a health and wellbeing lesson. So we started to really almost challenge them to think beyond activities and teach more than just an activity. We want to teach health and wellbeing um, in its own right as, as a way that we can um, promote it within PE, more than just it being a byproduct of what we do in PE. And a couple of other things in terms of expanding the range of pedagogies that they are ex experiencing when they're with us on the PGD, but also the range that they have to then employ when they're on placement. And that's probably the biggest thing was that we would hope that all of our student teachers can do a real wide range of um, pedagogies that promote um, health and wellbeing, because we know that it's not just about teaching health and wellbeing in terms of com the concrete things like food, health, nutrition, all those sorts of things. The way in which we act as teachers will inevitably promote health and wellbeing or not as the case may be and our classroom management and our organisation will have an impact as well and so it was that shift in focus uh, for our students I think probably is the most practical example that everything we do will impact our pupils health and wellbeing so we must think about that when we're planning um, and, and we try to really I guess expose them to a much wider range of pedagogies that, that supported that um, in terms of promoting health and wellbeing. Superb. Um, I think, you know, the health and wellbeing for me is, you know, taking care of the scenario indicators as well, isn't it? And creating an environment safe, nurturing, and that all comes from the teacher, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any examples of, you know, something maybe outside the school or anything that you've witnessed in kind of terms of community partnerships or family learning initiatives? Um, I guess really for me, um, I don't have a, you know, in my role, I don't have a, a lot of involvement in those sorts of um, partnerships and stuff like that. And certainly the study didn't really uh, delve into that too much. But what I guess I, I do understand or perhaps could share with you is that um, the context of um, any learning seems to be really important for health and wellbeing. Um, and health and wellbeing as a concept is quite difficult to define, but it is very context specific. So what does health and wellbeing look like in my school for our pupils um, and for our context? It seems to be really important. And I think um, that kind of idea of thinking about what that means could involve parental um, partnerships. It could involve um, health weeks, ideal projects. Um, and certainly in talking to the participants within my study, those were the things that they used to talk about what health and wellbeing was for them. I was involved in a health week, I had a breakfast club, I had X, Y and Z. Um, and so although health and wellbeing is quite difficult to define when you contextualise it, lots of the teachers that were involved in the study were able to give some very concrete examples, like the things that you mentioned, but you know, breakfast clubs, health weeks, yeah. um, after school support and, and those sorts of things. Um, so I think because there's so many um, variables in play when you're trying to promote the scenario indicators like you talk about um, there's the potential that it can be quite broad and difficult for teachers to narrow that down into what does that actually look like in action um, but there's lots of schools that are doing some really great things and, and more recently the one that I've noticed is a kind of health and well-being lead um, I mean they call it various different things in, in schools but um, someone who is driving forward the curricular area um, of health and well-being and um, whether that's a leadership position although anecdotally I would suggest the schools that I've been in um, it was generally tended to be someone from the PE department <laughs> that was undertaking that role. Um, but that's probably one of the biggest things that I've seen recently is a shift in people being employed 
to promote health and well-being um, and I, I think I would be a huge advocate of that across the board. Yeah, I think that really backs up what you're saying as well. Like, we can have all the literature and the policies and the ideas, but it's getting into action, as you say. And mm-hmm. there's only so much we can do with our time as principal teachers a PE or teachers a PE or whatever job you've got in the school. But it's having the ideas getting getting them implemented into action, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Finding the time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, there've been some things, government initiatives that have tried to support that in terms of you know the. Uh, pupil equity fund and um, you know trying to link to attainment and, and, and think about how school leadership can then use that fund to try and um, promote health and well-being and, and, and subsequently yeah. benefit attainment um, but I think it, it's it's difficult to implement in a I don't want to say consistent way because that makes it sound like it's inconsistent but in a way that um, is the same for all schools because yeah, it's not right. the same for all schools um, and those, those curricular leaders that's their job is to look at um, what what can we do? What can we teach? What can we promote? What can we develop? Um, and how can we use any funding or initiatives to support that? Um, and I think that's where school leadership, whether it is that curricular leader for health and wellbeing or the head teacher or senior management, that's the bit that they really need to delve into. And I think they are in lots of areas really delving into what does that look like for our pupils um, to help them be successful? Because it's not the same for everybody, I don't think. Definitely, I think I'm spot on. It's not. It's definitely definitely down to the context, isn't it? And you can't just pick something up and put it in another school. Um, yeah. Sometimes that just won't work. There, are, there obviously are some things that are consistent um, from school to school, but um, it's down to the the pupils that you're working with and mm-hmm. kind of their needs and aspirations. Um, so thanks thanks for sharing that um, experience that you had. Right then, uh, our favourite question then um, can help <laughs> us as well. So lastly then, Elaine, in your opinion, what makes a, a high quality teacher? Um, I'm assuming you just don't want me to say, Lewis, you're the high quality teacher, everybody should just you uh, know, follow I mean, what you're doing. <laughs> I, I mean, go for it, go for it. Um. Um, I don't know, I mean, it's a tough one. Obviously, my, my research is, is essentially looking at, you know, teachers and, and I think we, we would be very familiar with the standards, talking about values and commitment and the knowledge and understanding that you need to have um, as a teacher. And the literature would agree with that. You need to have knowledge, you need to have teaching skills, you need to know how to deliver um, to young people. But for me, it's really about the personal qualities part. It's about the, the values, the commitment, the enthusiasm, the engagement, the ability to build relationships with anybody, but particularly with young people um, and to communicate with your peoples in a way that kind of fosters an environment that allows us to do all those things that we talked about earlier and to promote the social and emotional development to to encourage our young people to be successful and and I think that's for me probably yes you have to have content knowledge yes you have to understand pedagogy yes you have to be committed and and all those things that we see through standards and, and literature but without the personal qualities and the the personality for want of a better expression or the teacher personality anyway the others potentially don't work as well and you're not as effective if you can't build relationships and can't build a rapport with people and specifically young people. So for me, it is about that um, interaction and and how you're able to socially interact because education is a social endeavour. You're interacting Mm -hmm. with people. Um, So high quality teachers for me, it's always about the personal qualities and the other things that are important, but they don't work as well without the personal qualities that you'd be looking for in a teacher. Yeah, I think um, you've hit the nail on the head with that one because yeah. um, I, I to try and get in it, especially if you're working with like a a tough class that you maybe struggle to get through to, if you can 
kind of break down those barriers, get on well one-to-one with all of them and kind of build up those relationships, then it certainly helps when it comes to actually getting them to do what you want. Sometimes you need to go about different classes with different approaches, don't you? To, mm-hmm. to get some, some people's will, like you will get classes where you can go in and you can, um, mm-hmm. they can, they can cope with that and you can actually go in and share your knowledge and teach them like the way that you've planned to do it, but others it just does not work, it just falls flat. Yeah. And um, you can unpick unpick where it's went wrong and then go about it a different way essentially yeah and I think that's for me is why the the interview part of um teaching generally so whether you're interviewing for a job or interviewing to get on the course is so important um because you can't really assess personal qualities without actually talking to someone and 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 interacting with them um so for me that's why particularly in PE excuse me, PE, where it's so competitive, um, yeah. it becomes so important to be able to see and demonstrate, you know, personal qualities to quite a high level, even at that young stage of your career, um, which, I, you know, I think is why interviewing is so important for all of education, um, but certainly going into initial teacher education, um, it allows us to get an insight into your personal qualities that you already have that we can then develop and foster yeah. throughout your career. I think especially with the, the PE teaching interview as well, that's such a rigorous process. It's about it's eight hours oh. long. <laughs> but <laughs> you get you get to see the full the full person, don't you, essentially, in that yeah. in a space of time, which is which is yeah. great. And it's something that we we value so much being able to to get to know people and um you, you know, you spend a day with them and, and you ultimately are able to understand um, their motivations and, and, and you know why they want to be a PE teacher and start to understand and perhaps even see them a little bit like what kind of teacher do I think they're going to be and, and yeah. how can we mould them and you know and as I say that I know it makes it sound like if you've not been successful in an interview it means you've not got those qualities but of course that's we know that's not true particularly for PE because it's mm-hmm. so competitive but yeah I think it's for me it's the only real fair way to do it is that I have, mm-hmm. you know we have to get to know these people to try and make a you know some sort of subjective decision on you know, yeah and do they have to deliver it do they have to deliver a lesson to the peers for the interview, or is that, yeah, taking, so, is that still there? Yeah, we've been doing that for quite a few years now, um, and we've been quite lucky in the last few years. We've been supported by a couple of the local schools, and we've actually had pupils in. Um, I, I'm not sure that that will happen this year. Uh, we obviously don't know with the kind of current situation how that mm-hmm. might go, but again, being able to see them in a teaching position is really um, important for us, and I think some people might look at that and go, well, that's quite harsh. They're not a teacher yet. How are you, you know, how can you assess them on that? And the the reality is, is that, as you'll know, most people come to PE already having had coaching experience um, and already having had some experience with young people in, in school. Mm-hmm. And we're not really looking for them to be the finished product. We're looking for those kind of um, transferable skills, the voice projection, the personality, the enthusiasm, the things that we just talked about that make a really good teacher. We mm-hmm. would hope to see some of those you know, in an interview teaching episode um, that would allow us to get a wee bit of an insight into what kind of teacher they would be. And it does take up a lot of our time. Um, and if the boss is listening, he'll probably be telling me to stop taking up as much time doing it. But um, <laughs> I think uh, for us, it is that idea that um, it does allow us to see them potentially as a teacher or a potential teacher. And, and that's ultimately what we're here for is, you know, myself and Stephen and the school-based colleagues want to see you know, potentially the potential that you have um, and and then, you know, get that number of 400 down to 16 or whatever it is. Um, yeah. I can't remember the statistics exactly, but 
yeah, it does come back to those personal qualities. I think that we're looking for. Yeah, I don't think you're ever going to a, a post grad, especially like doing a post grad in PE teaching without having any sort of coaching background or working with people in a fitness context or something like that. Yeah, that'd be, absolutely. That'd be, a, that'd be a tough gig. Going on a post grad anyway. Yeah, it definitely would um, be. I think there was um, definitely there's definitely a common theme between that last question. We've asked a few a few others that what makes a high quality teacher. And everyone's pretty much said relationships are kind of at the heart of it. So um, I would I'd totally agree with that. And in my short experience as a teacher so far, I'm um, definitely. I think also as well, what the difficulty can be as a student teacher is you feel as if you're building the relationships. I'm sure you'll get this feedback a lot, Elaine, and then you move on. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> One of those ones, isn't it? But when you're, yeah. when you're actually in a school and you know permanent or there for at least a year or two, then you can build those relationships. Yeah, interestingly, that might be something positive that comes out of the current pandemic that we're in. And um, we were asked to um, place where where possible place students in the same school for the year, um, just yep. to kind of help with some of the uh, transitions um, and some of the of the obvious kind of additional workload that we're all facing. And um, so I'll be really intrigued to see how if that or how that goes and if that makes a difference to them then being able to build relationships across the year because they'll spend their time in in one school and obviously there's the negative that you don't get that breadth of experience but it you know it's the situation that we're in so it'd be interesting to see if that brings any positives and um, that we might carry forward yeah i'm sure there's pros and cons of both um, oh, always so time to put you on the spot then with a quick oh. fire round <laughs> quick fire round of three uh, we ask this to all of our guests and you know it's pretty fun to enjoy this bit don't we Lewis? Yeah it's our, fa- our favourite bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll get cracking then so if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown what would it say Elaine? Um, I mean I'm from Kilmarnock originally and not that I have the accent anymore but I can put it on for you if you want um, it would probably be I mean there's a lot of options Home in the Famous Kelly Pie Johnny Walker Whiskey Biffy Clyro two Nobel Prize winners but I think I'd probably go for um, Welcome to Kelly we're so special we've got our own Halloween <laughs> I've been to Kelly a few times um, been to Robbie Park a few times that's always a good day out it's always a good day out, especially when you can get a Kelly Pie in a Bovro at half time. It's a great day out. It's a great day out and I'm missing the football tremendously at the moment. Oh no, it's hard going, isn't it? At least we can watch yeah. it though. True. So, yeah. what book or books have had the greatest influence on your life? Um, I think probably if I had to pick a genre, it would be kind of biographies, autobiographies, books based on true stories. That's primarily what I read or have read throughout my uh, my life, I would say recently that probably includes people like Michelle Obama, um, Alex Ferguson's most re- recent book on leadership. Um, but as a teacher, I think I know it's supposed to be really short. <laughs> I'm trying to give short answers here, but right. um, I remember reading with my school and my staff and my students and pupils at the same time. So I read The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. I don't know if you've read that, and it just in the film. Um, yeah, it just it changed. It changed my life because I just didn't see the ending coming and I won't spoil it for anybody. But also it changed the way I was as a teacher because we were reading it together almost in like a book club. So the pupils would be like, oh, what chapter are you on, miss? Um, have you got to this bit yet? And I'm like, stop spoiling it. Um, so it just, <laughs> it was a different way to engage with the pupils and I, and I loved that. Um, but probably the most influential in me as a teacher would be a book called Other People's Children, mm-hmm. which is by um, Lisa, I say it's Delpit, I think is her last name. Um, and the element by Ken Robertson, they probably had the biggest influ- influence on the passion 
that I have for education. Brilliant, superb. Um, I'm definitely a fan of the non-fiction as well. I don't really like reading um, fiction books. I'm, I'm writing my autobiographies. What was it? Um, is, your, is your favourite one not the Gruffalo? <laughs> Buffalo, Morelos. <laughs> anyway, um, moving on, last one. So what advice would you give to a student teacher about to enter the working world, um, which is a bit uncertain at the minute? Um, or what, yeah. advice, what advice should they know, if any? Um, it's, probably, it's a tough one. Um, I don't think they should ignore any advice. That's my first piece. But I think I probably, if I had to sum it up, and I do see this quite a lot, and normally when I'm just jesting, but um, it would be fake it till you make it. So a wee bit of kind of context so you don't think I'm saying you just should just go out and pretend to be a teacher. Um, I think there'll be times when as a young student teacher you don't know what you're doing or you're maybe not as confident in your performance, um, but through planning and preparation and performing and delivering and getting practice, um, you will become more experienced um, and you'll get there. But ultimately, if you can't stand up in front of the class and do it, um, even if you do feel sometimes a little bit of fake or you're not quite 100% sure, you're not going to make it. So I do offer that advice quite a lot in the sense that, you know, don't let your fears or any anxiety that you have kind of stop you from becoming the kind of teacher you want to be. Um, and then as far as advice goes, you've really got three options. You can either act on it, park it for later, or don't do anything about it and just reflect on it and let it go. So I always encourage them to take on as much advice as they can, but it's what you do with the advice that's important. Absolutely. That's, that's a great point. Um, um, Lewis has been faking it for a long time on this podcast as well so <laughs> See, I taught him well I taught him well absolutely I'm just connecting the dots here that's so. <laughs> Elaine it's never, it's never a podcast if he doesn't get a chance to get a flight again we've had a fair few as well uh, you like to use this platform too <laughs> yeah. anyway thanks again for agreeing to do this with us today Elaine and we hope this well we're sure it will definitely help the current teachers across the country and the next generation of teachers who listen in. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, absolutely no problem. I'm happy to help and always happy to chat about what I've been up to and things that I'm passionate about. So it's been great um, catching up with you know former students and uh, yeah, talking to you guys about um, what's going on at the moment. So each week on the podcast, we always have a key takeaway message from both the hosts. Um, so it was a very interesting discussion there on Elaine's kind of career into becoming the, the, the PGDE leader at the at the University of the West of Scotland and kind of the route that she took. And also she touched on some of our research that she's done in health and wellbeing. So there's a lot of, a lot to take away from that episode. So what was your kind of key takeaway message in Clark for today? Uh, my, my key takeaway message is um, pretty simple. It was looking at the kind of health and wellbeing uh, discussion that we had. You know, health and wellbeing, as Elaine said, it's it's difficult to define and for each context it looks very different in, in every school. But I think our job as, as teachers and schools and as a whole is to promote positive health and wellbeing, it's to you know, improve health and wellbeing. It's got a huge role to play in maximising you know, educational outcomes for, for all of our young people. And, you know, Elaine spoke about different initiatives in the schools um, that she was doing a doctoral study in. Um, like breakfast clubs, you know, extracurricular support, and uh, some, touched on some family learning initiatives as well. You know, it's, it's about trying to involve all the stakeholders in the process um, in order to achieve 
health and well-being um, for everyone. And, you know, taking, taking into consideration the scenario indicators as well as part of your classroom management and, you know, your feedback to the pupils, making sure it's a nurturing environment. And, you know, your pedagogy is like cooperative learning and trying to promote that uh, responsibility and um, inclusion within within the, the lessons. So uh, that, that would be my key takeaway message, certainly, you know, looking at the health and wellbeing. And in my school at the minute, we're actually running a course for health and wellbeing in S2. So it's the, the course is called Health and Wellbeing and it's run by a company called Take Your Marks, which is brilliant. You know, we're having a lot of great discussions around mental health and nutrition and good habits, bad habits, target setting, all the things that, you know, help achieve positive health and wellbeing. So I suppose you could look at it as a curricular model. You could have health and wellbeing being taught in the BGE and having a curricular pathway for it as well. And I'm sure there's other awards out there through the the SQA for additional educational outcomes that they can achieve, like the, the Wellbeing Awards and S3 or S4, Core PE. So no, definitely stuff to look at moving forward. So all good stuff. Um, what would your key takeaway be, Mr. Cleland? I think mine's just kind of right at the start of what Elaine said when she was sharing with us her journey to our current role as the, the PGDE secondary leader at the university when she was talking about how she graduated um, down in England as a as a teacher of maths and physical education, and then she kind of taught for a wee while, then went to America and she did a bit of coaching. And she just had a real variety of experiences, and then she dabbled with lecturing when she was over in America, and then that's kind of shaped the kind of path that she wanted to go down. I think getting that variety in there is super important, um, and I know that's not necessarily from a to help you with your teaching but I think it's to help you find what you what you're passionate about don't just graduate from I'm not saying don't do this but obviously if you're really passionate about teaching and when you leave uni you know for a fact that's what you want to do you love it then absolutely fine but I think it's also important don't that to not be afraid to go and try new things go abroad for a year see what teaching's like out there take all these opportunities and then you never know what doors might open and you might find something that you actually enjoy doing more or you just never know. I think variety is good and it keeps it fresh. And I think everybody should should at least try something like that going abroad. I just think it's a, a no-brainer in my opinion. So I thought that yeah. was a very good point. I think certainly at least, you know, you need to at least travel and go and experience different teaching approaches in different countries. Or even if you're into coaching a sport, you know, get, get a, go abroad and go and visit clubs, you know, whether it's hockey, basketball, you know, go and see how they, they do it over there and try and learn from them and come back because or even just be interested in something else over and above teaching because it's a very, it can be very a uh, very exhausting job at times mentally as well. So having something over and above your job that you're passionate about is definitely a must for me. Yeah, definitely. Whether it's podcasting, running, swimming, or even just travelling. Variety is a message there. It's not about doing doing one thing. And like, there's no right or wrong way, no right or wrong answer here. But I personally think variety is just that, such an important thing to have in, and not just your working life, but just your life in general. Like you say, don't just have one thing. Have what? Don't just have one thing. So what do we have? A variety. The spice of life. Absolutely. And on that note, thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. As always, if you see it on Instagram, 
um, at a wee bit of everything podcast or Twitter at Burrow underscore Mister or Clarence Lewis ninety four. We would be so grateful for a wee retweet or a share as this helps get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. Until the next time, we hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care.